Are you ready? Welcome everybody to Wrestling with the War! Alright everybody, it is your boy BC back once again to talk wrestling with the war. We're focusing on the Monday Night War between WCW and WWF back in the 90s leading up to 2001. It's been quite an interesting April so far. Some news uh, on the home front if you listened to our last episode, just an update of what's going on. So I'm riding a little bit solo here for the next little bit. But uh, plan on bringing in some surprises, maybe getting some special guests to join for specific episodes of the show, probably for when we're uh, when we're doing the reviews of uh, the pay per views. I'm not gonna make uh, not gonna make our guests sit through the monotonous episodes of Raw or Nitro at this point. Maybe as we get into some more interesting ones, but for sure, let's see if we can get some folks on this show to. Uh, to join in, have some fun, promote their podcast because there's some great podcasters out there right now. And then we'll uh, we'll have some fun talking about wrestling. As of right now, I'd like to give a shout out to friend of the show, Ted the Hillbilly Heel, who is on the Heel Truth podcast. His newest episode just dropped this week in which I was a guest on. It was his uh, ever popular buy, sell, or hold episode. And we're talking both WWE and AEW who we would buy, sell, and hold from a heel perspective. Some very interesting answers from both of us on that. So if you want to go check that out, his home base is Spotify, but you can find him on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And uh, Ted's not on social media, so if you're leaving a five-star review, why don't you drop him a line via email at heeltruthpodcast at gmail.com and let him know about your five-star review, and he'll read it out on the air. How about that? Pretty cool. As for us, uh, we're now coming off of, well, we're coming off of a couple of episodes. We did our 100th episode uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and now just an update last week. But now we're going to go right back into the war, and we're still slogging through 1995 at the moment. If you remember from the last episode where we were talking about the war, we were discussing coming off of World War III from the WCW side, as well on the WWF side, we're leading up to In Your House. Uh, I believe this is In Your House 5. It's going to be taking place in uh, December with the main event being Bret Hart versus Davey Boy Smith. So before we get into it, I'm just going to mention that we're just going to be covering uh, both Raw and Nitro episodes from December 4th of 1995 and December 11th of 1995. The December 11th being the go-home show of Raw prior to the uh, In Your House pay-per-view as for WCW, they're leading up to Starcade of that year, and it's going to be an interesting one, that's for sure, because it's going to be a challenge against New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Before I finally get into this episode, I just wanted to point out uh, just one more thing, maybe some shameless self-promotion here. But if you aren't aware, uh, I'm pretty active and busy on uh, YouTube at the moment, have two channels on the go. We have the main channel for Wrestling With The Truth, which is talking about the more modern day wrestling talk about different things like that. I also have some 
fun outtakes on there. Uh, have a have a fun game show with my my own wife Jen that uh, called Wrestling with the Wife, which seems to be a pretty good success. And we have a new episode of that coming out very soon. Just finishing off editing of that. But uh, if you go in there right now, the top video at the moment is the one I just released, and that's uh, discussing why Cody Rhodes losing at WrestleMania was a good thing. And I know that whole incident caused a lot of problems in the IWC and on the online world, but trust me, trust the plan. It's a good thing for him. He needs his hard times. But go check out that video. It's not long. It's only a couple minutes long. Just talking about that. Um, And I want to thank everybody who has watched it and subscribed. It's fantastic. We're moving our way up on that subscriber board. And it's pretty exciting right now. Also, my second YouTube channel, it's my true love letter to wrestling. It's called Wrestling with the 80s. And shockingly it focuses on wrestling in the 1980s which is my favorite time to be a wrestling fan but uh it just got underway but it's going gangbusters right now i'm pretty uh happy with what's happening it's only a month old uh only dropped a few videos but they're all doing well and i consider well we're not talking mr beast numbers here but we're talking uh you know a couple thousand views for each for a couple of uh the uh videos which is great so they're moving in in a positive direction getting some great comments and just today surpassed the 100 uh, subscriber mark on that channel in less than a month. So head on over. If you love old school wrestling, classic wrestling, stuff from the 80s, why don't you head on over, subscribe, check it out. There's going to be lots of great stuff coming. And I've got some great collaborations going to be happening with some of uh, my podcasting friends, which I'm pretty excited about as well. So anyways, that's it for the self-promotion. We'll talk about some other things later on uh, regarding other podcasts, but Let's go into this. So, as we mentioned, we're coming off of World War III in WCW. Um, so, we're going into Nitro. We are heading towards Starcade 95, although it doesn't seem like it, there's the storylines are quite there yet with it. We know that New Japan Wrestling is going to be involved. We know there's going to be a challenge between WCW and New Japan, and we're kind of fleshing that out. There's also, of course, all the controversy going on in the world title scene with Macho Man Savage being the champion. Uh, what side is Sting on? What side is Luger on? What's going on? We're seeing maybe the phasing out, hopefully, of the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, Hulk Hogan, we'll talk about some interesting stuff with him as well. But let's go into it for, for Nitro from December 4th. Uh, let's run through this very quickly as far as the lineup. We had Harlem Heat against the American Males in a tag team title defense. We had uh, an interview with Sting and Luger with Mean Gene. We had Sting facing Kurosawa. Uh, Scott Norton versus the Giant as well, and an interview with Ric Flair with a special guest. And then finally, Luger and Savage for the world title. So just some highlights from this show. Uh, right off the get-go, Bobby Heenan, being his old Bobby Heenan self, um, had a special gift for Pepe. That's Mongo McMichael's dog. And it was called Weasel Wafers, and basically it was a bag of... Um, chips with a weasel stuck inside of a moving weasel that was obviously animatronic but uh it was a running gag for the show as only bobby heenan could do get away with it but uh it's it's heenan he can't go wrong i'm sorry i just love bobby heenan so we went right into the match with harlem heat against the american males in the tag tag team title match this was a great match sometimes you forget how good some teams were and harlem heat were freaking awesome those that team was badass they were big they can move they were they were over with the fans. These guys were heels, and yet they were the ones getting cheered. The American males, not so much. They were supposed to be the faces, but come on, they were male stripper gimmick. How do you, how do you sell that with the with the fans? This is um, 
this is the we're seeing the transition of fandom here in the 90s we're going to see we're moving from the good guys being the good guys and the bad guys being the bad guys to more tweener stuff so but heat the harlem heat was over and of course they finished it off with the a Harlem hangover and that move never ceases to impress me. So cool. Um, Booker T, how he pulls it off, off without crushing people's faces is amazing. But you could tell Booker T was going to be a star in this match just from his movements, just the way he interacts with the crowd. He got into a jawing match with AC Green from the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, if you're not familiar, I mean, AC Green was a big player with the Lakers back in the 90s and then moved on to the Phoenix Suns when they were trying to build kind of their own dream team to go after a championship run against the uh, Chicago Bulls. But uh, yeah, he got involved. From what I understand, AC Green, the big wrestling fan. So that made sense that he was there. Also in this match, we had Colonel Robert Parker come out. And uh, as you know, him and Sherry, uh, sister Sherry have a relationship going on and they didn't quite mention it, but uh, it looks like he proposed to Sherry. She was showing off her ring, but we aren't quite sure. So we'll need some follow up on that. But uh, yeah, of course she got distracted. I thought this was going to lead to a, another loss by the heat to, uh, to the American males, but it didn't, it was fine. They got the win. They destroyed the American males and I was happy with it, but Harlem heat, man, badass tag team. Love them. Uh, we went right there to, uh, to the interview on the ramp with mean Gene with uh, sting and Luger and really, it wasn't much. Just they're talking about their being friends, and uh, Sting's not cool with Jimmy Hart, but he's cool with Lex. And if if they do have to fight each other at Starcade, they will. And friendship be aside, it's all about the championship, all the regular stuff. But nothing happened there. And then Sting went right up to uh, his match as his music played. Almost went to the back by mistake, but turned around, and realized, oh shoot, got to go to the ring. I'm fighting Kurosawa. And uh, as we mentioned before on this podcast, we were big fans of Kurosawa. This dude was a uh, Pretty cool looking, big guy, can move in that ring. He looked scary, but uh, this was more of a squash match for Sting. Wasn't very long. When when the Sting went over pretty quickly, Kurosawa got a little bit of offense, but it wasn't it wasn't much. So I think this is signs that maybe Kurosawa is on his way out soon from WCW. After that, we had a a, a crazy matchup. It was Scott Norton versus the giant and again one thing that i mentioned on this podcast is i can't believe what a fan i'm becoming of scott norton i wasn't a fan of him back in the day but man this dude is big and he is strong and man he put on some display in this match again not a long match but he uh at one point he put a giant up in an atomic drop and i mean he picked him up with ease i mean it was crazy how easy he picked him up like a feather uh and then uh the giant didn't quite sell the move, but as we've heard in, in later years, the giant was kind of green at the time. He was getting maybe some bad advice on what to do as far as selling. And sometimes he'd oversell some things. Sometimes he'd undersell some things. So this is a case that he probably could have sold this one a bit better. But uh, anyways, giant ends up getting the win with a, with a huge choke slam. When he catches Scott Norton coming off the top rope, one handed picks him up, gives him a choke slam. When I when you talk about a choke slam, this was a choke slam, man. He nearly put him through the mat, which was great. Looked great, and it looked uh, it made Giant look like a serious threat. The only thing I can note from this match is that the cameraman he needs to get some danger pay when he's dealing with uh, the Giant because the Giant, of course, had an in-ring promo on the camera in the corner, and man, that thing was covered in spit. <laughs> after after that promo so i hope that that cameraman's getting a little bit of extra uh cash in the pocket uh from there we went to mean gene and ring and once again welcoming rick flair not just rick flair but who else came out with them charles barkley 
Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound came out because he is now, of course, Phoenix Sun as well. Uh, the fans were kind of torn there because they're cheering for uh, Barkley, but yet booing Flair. It was just not interesting, but eventually Flair won them over because Flair is just crazy. He cuts great promos, and, and Barkley was great too. He, he understood his role, and he, he did it well. It would be, it'd be interesting to see if we get any more interaction that way, but Again, it just gives WCW that more of a big-time feel that actually these athletes want to be involved with them, and we'll see much more of that in the future in, in this case. And then fi- we finally finished up with Luger versus Savage for the world title. Um, didn't know where we were going with this one at the time. Uh, you, you thought maybe there's a threat of Luger winning, but not really sure. But uh, anyways, the funniest part of this match to start off with is Luger. As he's coming down, oh, n- number one I should mention is, again, Luger and Jimmy Hart just cannot get coordinated on high fives. It's Luger and Jimmy Hart's high fives are probably the most awkward thing going in wrestling at this point, and I'm all there for it all day long. But Luger seemed to forget that he was a, a heel as he was coming down the ramp because he started slapping hands with the fans and then all of a sudden realized, oh, shoot, I am a heel, and maybe I shouldn't do that. So he kind of did some awkward move where he looks like he's going to slap hands and then pulls it away, but... Eh, it, it just it seemed like he wasn't quite into it but anyways it was got got a chuckle out of me uh match itself was a great match savage is always going to have a great match luger works well with him luger works so much better in wcw versus wwf i just i don't understand what the heck went wrong in wwf but it just didn't seem to work at all for the the whole luger relationship but now he's back in wcw his matches are much better his character is much better more enjoyable on the microphone. It just, it just, he's just a WCW guy. That's all it is. But again, I say the match was great. And then we got until the end where we had the typical ref bump and we had a run in by flair, then a run in by Hogan. And then it looks like Luger's going to get the win. And it's Hogan who causes the disqualification because he prevents the referee who was just coming to and going to do a three count on Savage and Hogan grabs the hand of the referee Stopping the count causes disqualification, although the, the announcers didn't really mention that. It was just more so just that's, I guess, what happened. But it, it, that's what it was. Um, we had Hogan stop the three count. Savage is going to be disqualified. Uh, Savage holds on to the title. But things are about to get worse for Mr. Savage because we're finding out next week he's going to be facing, or in two weeks, he's going to be facing the giant uh, for the world title right before a Starcade. So, that's not so fun for him. <laughs> Interesting to see that, how that match pans out. Only other thing from this match that I'll mention is that at the end, you had Hogan uh, about to hit Luger, and Sting comes in the ring and prevents it, uh, prevents Luger from getting hit, and in the process gets hit by Hulk Hogan. Uh, so, of course, we're playing on this whole drama. We don't know what corner Sting's in, and then we have these kind of accidents happen, which is causing a lot of dissension. That's what they've been teasing all along this episode, is dissension between hogan and sting and savage and now we find out that sting and hogan are facing iron and flair next week which is going to be a dream match to be quite honest but there's this again are they getting along whose side is sting on so all in all pretty decent show um really fast paced really enjoyed it but my only complaint is um although they advertised starcade it didn't feel like there was any build-up for starcade and it feels kind of weak and like an afterthought and this is their equivalent to wrestlemania at the time so um, that was interesting, but we'll see as we go along. We're still, uh, Starcade's on December 27th of 95, so we've still got a couple of episodes to go to build it up. But at the moment, it just seems like the story is more on the whole um, triangle with Sting and Savage and Hogan. 
All right. So how did WWF do encountering that? So their December 4th, 1995 episode started off with the British Bulldog versus Bob Sparkplug Holly. And looking at this, you're going to think, oh, man, this is brutal. Sparkplug Holly. And yes, the gimmick for Holly is bad, especially when you compare it to what he was as hardcore Holly. But the match itself was really good. Holly can go in that ring. He's a pretty talented. He's a tough guy. And he's standing toe-to-toe with uh, Bulldog. Lots of great action going on. Bulldog ends up with the win. He catches him in a power slam. Um, but, you know, surprising offense uh, from from Holly, considering that the Bulldog is the uh, number one contender for the world title and you think that would be more of a squash situation, but it just goes to show that they must have had a little bit of faith in old Bob Holly, and just, you know, just be patient over the next couple of years because Hardcore Holly is certain, certainly much better than uh, old Sparkplug. Uh, after that, we had a recap of Bob Backlund jumping uh, Bret Hart on the Brother Love Show. Then Jerry the King Lager interviews uh, Bob Backlund, who had been moving through the crowd, I guess, doing his political side of things, and he ends up just going nuts. Uh, eventually, attacks. Uh, the sound guy or something like that. But it, it's just, to me, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to think that this Bob Backlund is the same guy who was like the howdy doody type of uh character. That was the early eighties, uh, WWF champion. And for you younger listeners who don't know who howdy doody is, look it up. He, he's a wooden puppet that looks, uh, you know, like Bob Backlund basically. <laughs> but, uh, uh, from there, we had Fat Two against the birthday boy himself, the Brooklyn Brawler, who, as of recording, this is April 18th of 2023, and uh, that is the Brooklyn Brawler's birthday, uh, born in 1961. But unfortunately, on this birthday, <laughs> it was just a squash for Fat Two. This was just thrown in, uh, and really, this Fat Two character is just going nowhere, if you ask me. But uh, he's certainly not the Rikishi that we're used to, but uh, we'll get something. As I say, Backlund then attacked, they show footage of Backlund attacking the sound guy and just toss him around just like the psychopath that he is. And from there, we go into uh, Dean Douglas versus Razor Ramon. As you remember, back in In Your House uh, previously, it was Dean Douglas who won the Intercontinental Championship when he was awarded it because Shawn Michaels was unable to wrestle due to concussion issues from his uh, attack by nine thugs in the parking lot outside a bar, you know all these thuggish Marines that just decided to beat up Shawn Michaels. He probably had nothing to do with that. No mouthing off, no intoxication whatsoever. But uh, Dean Douglas gets awarded the Intercontinental Championship, and immediately he's put into a title defense match against Click member Razor Ramon, and Razor wins the title from him. So it's basically a one-minute title reign for Dean Douglas. So where do we go from there? Well, we get uh, basically Dean Douglas squashed by Razor Ramon in this <laughs> in this uh title match here and it um yeah the 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 star has uh, lost its luster for mr douglas because even uh, vince mcmahon referred to him as the chump as opposed to the champ and uh yeah there's very little offense from uh from dean douglas in this match it was pretty much a squash from razor so i have a feeling old mr douglas is on his way out pretty soon we then go to another Brother Love segment. It looks like old Brother Love is back in the fold. Boy, am I ever happy about that. But he has uh, King Mabel as his guest. And um, they're talking about his matchup that's coming up with The Undertaker. It's going to be a casket match at In Your House. And uh, Brother Love decides he wants to surprise Mr. Mabel with a couple of items and out comes a druid with a uh, with a casket, a very large casket. I should mention that Mo has been on the missing list for the last couple of weeks. So uh, at the time, uh, 
Brother Love pulls the druid up into the ring, unveils him to be Sir Mo, at which time Mabel seems a bit confused. He's wondering if uh, Sir Mo has now moved over to the Undertaker's side. But lo and behold, no, old Brother Love is working in cahoots with Sir Mo. And they unveil the second gift, which is a casket that has been graffitied all over it. And that's going to be the casket that is going to be used for the casket match in your house. So in the end, King Mabel, very happy about his gifts and his surprise. and Very happy to have Sir Mo back in the fold. So we'll see what happens in that uh, casket match at In Your Hosts. After that, we saw an advertisement for the Raw Bowl, which is happening on uh, January 1st. Now, I remember these ads, and I remember talk about the Raw Bowl. I do not remember the actual episode and how it all went, so I'm interested to see this. But this was actually an interesting ad because it felt a little more Attitude Era-ish type of ad as opposed to all the squeaky clean stuff that we've been seeing in the past. So maybe, just maybe, as we're heading into 1996, we're finally starting to see maybe WWF shake off a little bit of this uh, this wholesome image and go a little bit stronger on this. Maybe the old WCW is inspiring them to, uh, to shake things up a bit. But uh, yeah, so Raw Bowl, Bowl is coming on January 1st. We then go to a matchup between uh, Sid, Psycho Sid, and Marty Jannetty. Uh, Marty wanted to get into the ring with Sid after getting uh, basically powerbombed on the outside and destroyed by Sid in the previous week in his match with uh, one two three kid Basically, Sid dominated most of this match, but there was some good spurts of offense from Marty. I mean, it's it's big guy, little guy. He's not going to dominate the match. Marty's not going to dominate the match, but uh, he looked good in this. He actually had a pretty good promo before the match, too, which is surprising for Marty. Uh, but in the end, the one, two, three kid interferes on the outside, causing a DQ, DQ for, uh, for old Sid, which I'm not sure why he needed to do that. Sid seemed to firmly have the match in control. And then, of course, Razor Ramon, who's been watching in the back, decides to come out and uh, exact some revenge on Mr. Kid and chases him out of the ring and then up the stairs, up to into the crowd. And <laughs> Kid ends up doing like a swan dive over a railing. And I'm not sure how far the drop was down below, but he disappeared pretty quick. So it looked like a steep one. So impressive move from Kid. I don't know how many feet he dropped down, but Razor decided not to do the same. And he took the stairs back down and went another route to try to find old one two three kid uh but yeah so interesting ending to that match and then we uh we end the episode on an emotional note as we uh, as we get an update from uh sean michael's doctor and i'm gonna say this prognosis negative and for you seinfeld fans you might get that anyways maybe i'll put a track in there or something like that prognosis negative <laughs> But um, the, Sean's doctor is talking about how Sean is suffering from some brain damage and that he is suffering some post-concussion symptoms. And uh, if it was his choice, he wouldn't want Sean back in the ring. So, of course, uh, that's got Vince deciding to do what I'll call, looking at it now, was a cheesy segment because, you know, he had strings going and the piano and talking about all the lengths that wrestlers go to entertain us and you have the walk-off scene uh, with Sean at the end and wondering if the question is if Sean will ever return. Seriously, we needed some, the, the music from the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk from the 70s where uh, uh, David Banner's doing the walk and the hitchhiking probably would have worked there. But honestly, I had to put my mind back to 1995 and I think probably at that time, this wouldn't have felt as cheesy. It was actually kind of cutting edge for WWE because they're acknowledging 
that the risks that these guys are taking, um, that these guys are putting their bodies on the line, guys and girls, I should mention. And, um, you know, it was heartfelt. And, of course, at the time, if you're a big Shawn Michaels fan, you legitimately had concerns. Is this guy going to be coming back? Because he had a real-life situation where uh, where he had the incident uh, in New York with the with the, uh, with the the jumping in the parking lot. So interesting way to end, but it's, it leaves it open-ended and leaves you wondering. So, Rod, not so bad this week. A couple of squash matches, a couple of silly things, but, you know, got some things moving. We know the Bulldog is... Is ready to go for in your house. Bob Backlund's going to be facing Bret Hart next week, and uh, you know we're moving along with the whole one, two, three kids situation with Sid. So we got some things on the move. So not bad. I'd still say Nitro was a more exciting show of the week, but it wasn't too bad this time. Hey, folks, it's BC here. Want to say thank you for your support of Wrestling with the War. Appreciate the fact that you've tuned in and listened to us. And if you uh, finish this episode off and you're looking for more fantastic podcasts to listen to throughout the day, well, why don't you head on over to uh, any one of your favorite podcasting apps, whether it's Google, Spotify, or Apple, and check out these three podcasts. The Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast with Dwayne Davis and Steve Barber. Great takes on uh, the modern wrestling product. Rappling with Canada with our friend of the show, Andy the Taxman, covering off Canadian wrestling history. And then if you're a hockey fan, head on over and check out the Bruins Fast Cast with another friend of the show, Steve McCachran, who covers off the Boston Bruins from a fan's perspective. And what a heck of a season they're having right now. Let's see if they're going to finish it off with a Stanley Cup win. But yeah, go support our friend Steve McCachran. Andy the Taxman and Dwayne and Steve over at the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast as well. Thanks a lot, folks, and hope you enjoy all of these selections. Yes, folks, yeah, that's a great list of uh, fellow podcasters. And if you're a fan of wrestling, of course, if you're like me, you want you can't get enough of wrestling, and you want to hear good podcasts about it. So go on and check out those podcast mentions in the ad. It's not just wrestling. I think we also talked about uh, our buddy Steve McCachran's uh, Bruins Fastcast, which is uh, for all you hockey fans out there. And what a season the old Bruins are having. Let's see if they can finish it off with a Stanley Cup win. I know old Steve will be on cloud nine if that's the case. But but check out his podcast and check out the others that were mentioned as well because they're good friends of the show and we like to support friends of the show. So now let's move into December 11th of 1995. We're going through the month of December and we're going to start off with Nitro for that night. And where we start off hot, we've got a match of the Cruiserweights where we have Eddie Guerrero versus Mr. JL. And for those folks that don't know, sorry to ruin the surprise, spoiler alert, but Mr. JL is Jerry Lynn. I mean, this was a great match. I mean, we've been talking about this all along that anything involving Eddie Guerrero, please give us more of that. He's been fantastic through this whole run so far. You know, this match, they had a couple of little small botches where I guess maybe there's a little miscommunication on, on some of the moves and the, maybe the style wasn't quite what JL was used to at this point, but nothing serious. I mean, we're not talking about injury situations or anything like that. It's just maybe timing issues or something, but in the end, Eddie gets the win and was super impressive in this match. Really enjoyed uh, Eddie's work in this and JL held his own as well. Uh, it's just too bad. He had to wear the mask and just couldn't be Jerry Ling's. I think he would have got a much better push and a much better, uh, response from the fans if they realized who it was that was under that mask at that time but uh great match great great start and that's one thing that nitro is famous for starting off strong with either a crazy angle or just with the cruiserweights doing this kind of high-paced match that gets the fans right into it 
we then had a interview with uh, Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger on the ramp with uh, Mean Gene again. Not much said here. Just basically talked about how Lex is going to be the world champion. He got robbed by Macho Man Savage, but he's going to Starcade, and there's going to be a triple uh, threat match. Uh, it looks like with him and Sting, and uh, uh, it looks like Flair as well. So who's going to be the uh, qualifier to to fight Savage for the title? So yeah, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, it's just typical fair. Next up, we had Disco Inferno versus Paul, Mister Wonderful Orndorff. So uh, Orndorff, of course, doing his horrible gimmick where he uh, still holding that uh, mirror that he uh, received from Gary Spivey. Um, yeah, worst, probably one of the worst theme songs going. And this one really hurts my heart because it is one of my favorites of the '80s, Paul, Mister Wonderful Orndorff. But Disco got a surprising amount of offense in this match, and Disco was a little bit over with the fans. His theme music was definitely over with the fans. They were uh, they were dancing along with him, but Disco looked pretty good. And um, it, Orndorff finally gets to win with a with a belly to back suplex uh, that looked pretty nasty. I mean, Disco took a good bump on this, and uh, basically the match was just used to promote the whole dissension that's going into the main event between Hogan and Sting. And are they going to be able to work on the same team against? two of the greatest tag wrestlers that you could possibly have together with flair and iron. So basically that's what it was for, but uh, we have more coming up in regards to Orndorff in a second, because once we finished this match, we had mean gene on the ramp with the horseman and we're talking the horseman just minus Chris Benoit. So we had iron flair and Brian Pillman. And so off the get go, it's Brian Pillman who gets asked the questions from uh, mean gene and which was, interesting because i was wondering why they were starting with him and pillman just kind of went crazy on them like insulting everyone insulting hogan insulting macho man savage he um he ends up finally insulting paul orndorff just i know we're talking about how he's an old man and couldn't keep up and stuff like that and hanging with gary spivey and just silliness and which ends winds up with uh orndorff coming out to confront him and orndorff makes an interesting comment because i suggested in the previous episode that orndorff could have been a great horseman and Orndorff kind of alludes to that, saying that the only reason that Pillman is a horseman is because Orndorff said no. So, wow, wouldn't that have been interesting if we had to have Paul Orndorff in the four horsemen? But uh, in the end, Pillman gets a little bit riled up and takes a swing at, uh, at Orndorff, and Orndorff swings back, which it, through this whole time, you could tell that Aaron and Flair didn't really want to interact with uh, Orndorff. They just, they're probably friends, and they didn't want to have to do anything, but... Once he took a swing at a fellow horseman, that was it. It was on and uh, beat down time from Iron and Flair while Pellman just cheered them on, which ends up with uh, with uh, the Iron and Flair do a spike pile driver on the concrete floor of Paul Orndorff. So Paul Orndorff was, ends up uh, motionless on the floor, ends up getting stretchered out, put in an ambulance. And it turns out uh, that this was really, um, this was done as a retirement angle for Paul Orndorff because he was... Uh, just having issues with uh, with uh, his injuries from uh, his atrophy from his injuries uh, from his 1980s run. If you, if you know the story on Paul Orndorff, he was having the run of his career with Hulk Hogan back in 1986 and 87. And while working out during that feud, he got injured, pinched a nerve, and uh, while working out, and it uh, he just left it go because he just could not give up this feud at the time and he just couldn't walk away from the money that was available from this feud at the time. I mean, he was a top heel in wrestling at that moment. And uh, it turns out that this not getting this done caused some serious problems for him. He had uh, his whole, uh, I think it was his left side. If I remember correctly, he was 
uh, his arm was atrophied and it, from the pinched nerve and it was starting to get smaller. And then now this was starting to affect his leg as well. And um, so he eventually just, he had to retire from the injuries. So they decided to do an angle to write him out. And how ironic that the man that might've had the greatest pile driver in wrestling history gets put into retirement by a pile driver from Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. But if you're going to have two people that are going to put you out of wrestling, you might as well have the horseman do it. So Sad moment for me when I realized that this was the end of the run for Orndorff, but I know he wasn't quite looking the same in the ring as he usually was. But uh, but yeah, man, unfortunate. If you if you're not familiar with Paul Orndorff's work from the '80s, not just with WWF, but in the Mid South Territory and the NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid Atlantic, all that stuff, check him out. Or someday I'll be doing some something on him on my uh, Wrestling with the '80s channel, so maybe you can check out some videos on there to find out about him. But yeah, if anything, look up his heel turn on Hulk Hogan because it's epic. The clothesline, the pile driver, epic heel turn. One of the best in wrestling history. It's what really got me locked in as a wrestling fan at that time. But yeah, so we have Orndorff. Uh, throughout the rest of the evening, they're kind of focusing on him getting um, stretchered and put on the ambulance. Bobby Heenan's pretty shaken up about everything. So they're they're giving this one its due justice and of course, this guy is a legend in the, in the wrestling business, so of course they want to make sure that they're giving Paul Orndorff his uh, his flowers here. So, yeah, so interesting angle for it. So after that, we had Lex Luger versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It is what it is. It was quick and painless, I guess you would call it. Um, Hacksaw a little bit more serious in this match, which was much more interesting. It still amazes me the size of Hacksaw Duggan. Um, just massive hands on the dude. He ends up losing when Jimmy Hart distracts the referee while holding up the, the two by four. Hacksaw is pulling up the roll of tape to tape his fist. Uh, Luger pushes him into the two by two by four that, uh, that Jimmy's um, holding, and that knocks him woozy. Luger is able to get him up into the uh, torture rack, and we get the uh, submission victory for Lex Luger. But yeah, it was all of maybe three, four minutes, uh, I'd say at most. But uh, yeah, again, another guy that uh, if you just know the hacksaw that was kind of silly in the WWF and silly in WCW, go check him out in Mid-South Wrestling because that dude was, again, badass. And uh, he was a, a hot, hot baby face after being a hot, hot heel in that in, in Mid-South. And um, if you want a true appreciation for hacksaw, not just the WWF version of him, go check it out. After that, we go to Mean Gene with Macho Man Savage on the ramp, talking about his upcoming title defense against the Giant next week, which is December 18th on Nitro. And uh, Macho realizes he's got some giant problems that he has to handle, but he's a fighting champion and he's going to do it. So we'll see what happens with that title defense. And then we go right into the main event dream match. And when I talk about a stacked match, think about this. If you were a fan of WWF or fan of uh, WCW or NWA or whatever, if you had ever imagined in your lifetime that in 1995, you're going to see Hulk Hogan teaming with Sting to take on Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, somebody probably would have thought you were crazy. But here we go. This is 1995. And we're not talking about a pay-per-view. This is on Monday Nitro. But this is what WCW did. They threw everything at the wall as far as the tv product just to make sure they're getting ratings and um this this probably would have helped out for sure so interesting things that we have going on is that hogan is uh growing the mustache back finally because he looked just crazy without that without that signature mustache so i'm glad to see it's finally starting to, to grow back in and sting's almost gotten rid of all the blonde hair in his head as he seems to be letting the uh 
the dye job going, letting the uh, dark roots come through. So eventually we'll get to dark-haired surfer sting at some point. Um, the other big thing that we were noticing is there was a lot of Hogan sucks chance. Now, let's take into account that we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, the hometown of Ric Flair, and he's fighting Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson in the ring. So you're going to have that side of it, but there wasn't any Sting suck chance. So um, I think the fans were getting a little bit tired of old Mr. Hogan's gimmick. So uh, lots of ammunition as to why Hogan would later turn and go in with the NWO. But uh, interesting to hear those Hogan sucks chants. Um, the match itself, very good old school tag team match, Iron and Flair cut off the ring, cheating, keeping Sting in the ring, not letting Hogan get to the tag. At one point, it looked like uh, Sting was going to get a tag, and Iron pulled Hogan off of the apron and uh, uh, did a move on him on the outside that incapacitated him, which led to more talk about the dissension. They are really, really pushing the dissension that's going on between all these guys. You know, at the end, you get uh, you get Hogan and, and finally getting in the ring, dropping a leg on uh, Flair, I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly. But Brian Pillman comes in to uh, break everything up. He And then you have the horseman jumping uh, jumping Hogan and uh, and Sting. And Sting gets knocked down, and all three of them on uh, on Hogan. And then Lex Luger comes in. And he hel- he gets Pillman off of uh, off of Sting and sends him over to fight on Hogan. And Luger pulls Sting aside uh, to protect him, but doesn't go to help Hogan. Sting notices this and and pushes Luger out of the way and goes and helps Hogan. So uh, in the end, he's standing strong with those guys. Then you have Macho Man Savage come into the ring, and uh, in all the the craziness, you have uh, Sting end up taking a swing and hitting Savage between the eyes. <laughs> so WCW at this time is just going bananas with with every possible angle the whole theme throughout any wcw is whose side is is anybody on which is which is good it's intriguing it it keeps you wondering i mean this whole triangle thing with sting and hogan and savage is it got you wondering but uh afterwards gene gets in the ring of course mean gene gets in the ring he's got to get in the middle of it and uh he's focusing on sting to find out what the heck's going on maybe stirring the pot a little bit as well uh, asking Savage how he feels about just getting hit. And surprisingly, Savage is the cooler head in this situation. Um, he understands what happened. You know, Sting was fighting for his life, trying to help Hogan out, and just shots were fired in that case. And Sting says, look me in the eyes and know that I'm telling the truth. So uh, Savage believes him and looks like at the end that the boys are shaking hands, kissing babies, and, you know, ready to go at it against the their evil enemies. And they realize that it's Flair causing all the problems with this. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see what happens on the next episode of Nitro. But for now, again, a lot of intrigue, a lot of stories going on, a lot of side stories. You got your main players always in the mix. Really interesting, really interesting. Nitro keeps you wondering at all times. So again, another enjoyable episode right now. And I noticed that there's no Dungeon and Doom, which is great. (laughs) Uh, Then we got... uh, raw from december 11th so this is their response to the uh the nitro episode and this by the way is the go home show for in your house which will be happening on december 17th so of course you're going to expect a jam-packed action-packed show uh, leading into that pay-per-view so what do we start off with well we've got owen hart versus jeff hardy which of course that's that's main event material but remember this is 1995 jeff hardy who is a jobber at this point this isn't 
the Jeff Hardy that we know and love today, who just uh, came back to AEW this past week. But uh, yeah, so a very, very young Jeff Hardy uh, in his homemade wrestling tights at this point. Uh, basically, it was a squash match. Uh, Owen didn't even bother to do his finishing maneuver. He just did a roll up to fin- finish him off to show that it was such an easy win. And then Yokozuna, who had accompanied uh, Owen uh, to ringside, who is looking about 700 pounds at this point, comes in the ring and done, does the bonsai drop onto poor Jeff Hardy in the ring. And I was really hoping that Diesel was going to make the save because he had been watching backstage because I was worried that Yoko was just going to crush Jeff Hardy <laughs> for real in this case. But eventually Diesel comes out, uh, combats Yokozuna, uh, knocks him out of the ring. And I mean, for a guy who's, like I say, tipping the scales near 700 pounds, Yoko was still pretty agile with the way that he moved. So uh, so it looks like we're setting up for a Yoko-Diesel matchup at some time soon. After that, we have some uh, some women's wrestling, and it's Aja Kong against Chaparita Asari, who we saw both of them at the uh, Survivor Series. And all I can say about this is squash match, win for Aja Kong, and one of the most vicious spinning back fists I've ever seen to finish the match. It looked like she took for uh, Asari's head off and she even uh, they showed that uh, Asari had a bleeding nose after after Aja Kong left the ring but yeah just just a vicious shot but uh, again not not a great match it's just they're featuring Aja Kong and uh, I don't know where they're gonna go with this because we know what's coming up soon with the old uh, WWF uh, women's division and uh, Alundra Blaze and what happens to her but that'll be next week when we talk about that. From there, we get an interview with HBK talking with uh, my favorite, Todd Pettengill, who couldn't do a serious interview if his life depended on it. But uh, yeah, HBK at home, um, they're discussing what the doctor had to say about HBK's career. Um, Sean himself is coming off as, you know, resilient. He's coming off as vulnerable. He's coming off as likable in this. Um, He is saying that he's not showing any effects from the uh, concussions. He's not showing any symptoms of anything. He feels like he's going to be back. And then, uh, you know, Pettengill hits him with the whole, uh, well, you know, it's been a good career, Sean. You just haven't had the chance to be the WWF champion, but you can be proud of what you've, what you've done. And, and uh, to which Sean is like, hey, hold on a second there, bub. You're, uh, you write me off here or what's going on? But, uh, you know, it, just, it was just a way to, to showcase uh, Sean and, and to get maybe some sympathy for him and uh, hopefully get people wondering, is, is he or isn't he going to be returning? So intrigue that's what we want in the, in the in wrestling you need intrigue and we got it with that uh we then went back to the ring we had ahmed johnson come in and squash a jobber uh they didn't even get a chance to to give the name so so far we've had three squash matches on the go home show for the pay-per-view so some pretty good booking there by wwf uh and then ahmed had an interview with uh jerry the king lawler, lawler talking about uh his match at uh, in your house coming up with dean douglas and i was impressed i could actually understand 90% of the words that Ahmed was saying in this interview. Ahmed, not known for his uh, promo skills, uh, I will say that, but uh, he got the message across and he looked pretty intimidating <laughs> enough to scare Jerry Lawler back to his seat. But again, three squash matches. Uh, wow, uh, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, we then had a classic uh, ad from WWE uh, just talking about the new generation and season's greetings and all that because it's getting around Christmas time. And was, if you remember from that time back in 95, it was the Santa Claus lineup with all the wrestlers. It was Razor Ramon and Yokozuna and Harvey Whippleman and 
I forget. Oh, Hakushi was one, and there was one more, and I can't uh, remember who it was. But I remember that that uh, ad clearly from uh, from back in the day, and it always was a funny one. And again, it felt a little bit more attitudeish, you know, attitude era type of ad as opposed to uh, to the the new generation stuff. But yeah, we had that, and then we had a a pretty cool promo for the Raw Bowl, and an ad for that, which featured Freddie Blassie. Uh, doing a, a pep talk like a like a football coach, and again got me interested in Raw Bowl. So we'll see what happens with that. That's happening on January first. We then went to an in ring interview with uh, Vince McMahon. He was in the ring with uh, Psycho Sid, the One Two Three Kid, and Ted DiBiase. And honestly, it was just <laughs> they're talking about their matches coming up, tag team match with uh, Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty. Talking about what they're going to do to him. Again, nothing. Nothing too spectacular, considering this is a go-home show. So, yeah, there everything in the show is leading up to one match, and that's the main event, and that's going to be uh, Bret Hart against Bob Backlund. But really, three squash matches and two interviews, eh, not exactly a way to promote your pay-per-view, but we then have Bret versus Bob Backlund. Of course, the talk has been that Diana Smith, uh, Davy Boy Smith's wife and Bret Hart's sister, and Owen Hart's sister, of course, too, is in the crowd all evening and Jerry gets a chance to uh, go over and talk to her. And she seems like she's totally on team Davey this time. If you remember back in 92, when Davey and Brett fought at uh, SummerSlam, it seemed like she was a torn individual, but this time looks like she's pro Davey for sure. So um, yeah, it looks like Brett's starting to wear on the nerves of sister Diana at this point. But as far as the match with Backlund, honestly, it was a pretty boring match. Um, Brett didn't really get a chance to get to the blocks. It was all Backlund just wearing him down, using moves, trying to set up the the uh, cross face chicken wing. He, um, you know, basically is grinding away at Brett's arm, but really just, it was all just Matt wrestling and not even a whole lot of it. It was just kind of eh, not a great match. And uh, it was all set up for Davey to come in at the end and distract Brett, which causes dis- disqualification. Uh, Backlund jumps him, finally locks on that chicken wing. And then, uh, Davey's able to start doing some damage on Brett. Uh, well, Bob Backlund's got him in chicken wing. And that's the way to go uh, to close off before we go to pay-per-view. So kind of, I guess, wet your appetite for, for Brett versus Davey, but really not not a whole lot. Honestly, like the, I wasn't too excited about the, uh, the pay-per-view itself going into it. So we'll see. We'll see if the pay-per-view delivers and is, is a decent show. But honestly, if I was a, a fan just clicking onto Raw for that episode and if they were trying to sell me to watch the the pay per view that following weekend, it would. I'm not going to be ordering it. It just did not did not precede anything. Didn't it didn't whet my appetite for it? Let's put it that way. So we'll see what happens. But speaking of that pay per view, that's what we're going to cover in next episode. It's in your house five coming from Hershey, Pennsylvania. So the lineup so far for that is Razor Ramon and Mario Gennetti against the one two three kid and Psycho Sid in a tag team match. Ahmed Johnson is supposed to be fighting uh, Dean Douglas. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is going to be taking on Henry O. Godwin in an Arkansas Hogpen match, which again, not even any mention of that going on in this pay-per-view. We have Owen Hart uh, against Diesel, uh, Undertaker against King Mabel in a casket match, and Bret Hart versus British Bulldog for the, the WWF World Championship. So that's your lineup for that pay-per-view. And then I'll also be talking about the go-home show of Raw after that, as well as Nitro leading up to Starcade. So I'm hoping to have a special guest uh, joining me for that episode, just trying to work on the details right now. But 
That way you won't be just listening to me talk about it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Is this pay-per-view going to be any good? I can't I can even, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to jog back my memory to that time, and I that, this one isn't sticking out. So the only there's only one thing that really sticks out from that is that hog pen match between Triple H and uh, Henry Godwin. So we'll see if the rest of the card holds up. But I'm going to let it go from there. Appreciate everybody uh, joining, and uh, glad to be back into the... Uh, into the war talking about this but i noticed that the clock is starting to tick and that we're running down time so i'm gonna say i'm bc hunter and this is been messing with the war see you next week